Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is the Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests. Now, here's your host, Brian Rusk. Welcome to the Rust Report on the Bet 1520. We're very happy to have with us today a noted author. We've had her on the program before, Paulette Cooper Noble, and she has a new book out right now. It is called The Perils of Paulette, a writer's memoir, and it discusses her life as a stowaway, and that's an interesting uh, chapter. I just read that last night. Uh, she's, she's got a lot of chutzpah to, <laughs> to stow away on a major ocean liner. Uh, also, she was a tabloid reporter, travel writer. She bashed Scientology. She was on the special on national TV about that. And uh, she's also a Holocaust survivor. Um, she's uh, really had a tough challenging life, but she has made the best of everything, and she's married to a wonderful uh, man, Paul Noble, who's been a guest on this program. He is also an author, and he wrote a book on his first 83 years, so I told Paul we have to have him back on his second 83 years. (laughs) So let's talk first of all about some of the celebrities that you um, have met and been with, and the first one, of course, is... uh, uh, the star of The Godfather, who was in numerous uh, Hollywood motion pictures, an icon in the motion picture industry, Marlon Brando. What was he like? Um, tell us well, what were his idiosyncrasies. He, <laughs> he was obnoxious. I hmm. had a crush on him from the time I was 10 years old, so I was all excited about interviewing him. But he hated the press, absolutely hated the press. So he would not look at me. Throughout the interview, he was turned sideways, and he was so fat that his words did not go over his stomach, and he was mumbling. So it was a near disaster. I got my story, but it was to be treated like that, and it was very difficult and very disappointing. I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but he was, you found him to be a very talented actor, didn't you? Oh, I think he's a wonderful actor. He was a wonderful actor, but he was not a wonderful person. So uh, another person I interviewed who turned out to be really nice, though, was Alan Funt of Candid Camera. Oh, yeah, that was a big show in the 60s and 70s. Yes, 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 and uh, he was was delightful. And uh, I interviewed Pat Boone, 
and uh, he was religious but absolutely charming. I wanted to talk about Jesus. I wanted to talk about what I was interviewing him on, which I forget. And uh, then I actually got to meet Jackie Onassis, and uh, what happened there. This is, bef- this is after the assassination of her husband. Yes, after the assassination of her husband, okay. and I think it was right after she, yeah, it was after she married Aristotle Onassis, and in fact, they were not getting along well. And one of the causes of contention was that the uh, Jackie spent, he, she didn't think he gave her enough money to spend. I think he gave her like um, $35,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Poor dear could not make it. So what she was doing was she was buying clothes at Bloomingdale's and then bringing them into a consignment shop, consigning them and getting cash for them. And I had finally, I did confront her, but Jackie never gave interviews. And she said to me, sorry, I don't give interviews, which I think was more than she said to any other reporter. So, Did you find her to be a good uh, person or a very calculating uh, selfish individual. No, I think that uh, you know she went through hell. I mean, being in a car while your husband's brain is blo- is uh, blown out is uh, pretty horrible, and she had to put up with all of his uh, affairs, and uh, he was in a lot of pain because of his back, so he probably was complaining a lot. So I don't think it was the fabulous marriage that they depicted it as. And, of course, the public was enraged when she married Aristotle Onassis. How dare she marry a fat, ugly old man? But he was able to give her what she wanted. He could afford privacy because they had, you know, that yacht. And uh, he could afford to give her, as it turns out, she wanted even more money than he gave her. But, you know, 35000 a month is not that bad. No, I uh, and thirty five thousand dollars a month thirty years ago would be two hundred thousand dollars a month That's today. Right. Exactly, exactly. But it wasn't enough for her, so she had her own little scam going. You know, uh, she. You mentioned how tough her life is, and you had challenges. You're a survivor of the Holocaust. You were nearly killed as a as a child. Uh, on, on many occasions, did you feel some type of sympathy? For Jackie Onassis, of your, because of your mutual suffering. Well, you know, she she went through hell, and I went through hell, and I was born in Belgium, and my father was taken by the Nazis uh, three days before I was born, and then my mother went out to get milk for me, and then she was taken, and uh, they both ended up killed in Auschwitz, and I spent the next six years until I was adopted and came to America the uh, in orphanages and also during the war with listening to bombings and things like that and it was it was a very very rough childhood but I was very lucky and I described this in my book the perils of Paulette the uh, that I was adopted by wonderful people the Coopers and uh, you know I had a very very nice life in America until my first book, which I decided to take on Scientology. And my first book, I've written 27 books now on different subjects, was called The Scandal of Scientology. 
and nobody else dared take them on in those days because they were so notoriously litigious. And I began investigating them and discovered about the many terrible things that they were doing. And then they really went after me after I started speaking out about them. They had me arrested falsely, and uh, I was almost killed twice. And the man I lived with was a secret Scientologist and spying on me for them. And I spent 15 years as the really the only person speaking out against them. So they put all of their ammunition against me. And it was rough, but I did save a lot of people from the cult. And now, happily, most people do know that they're a bad group and to avoid them and that, you know, they're a, a nasty cult. Well, basically, uh, from what I've seen on the special you were on on international television, that they brainwash people, they uh, milk them for their money, uh, they right. abuse they people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was on 60 Minutes, and they cut, people, they, they cut people off from their families. They lie to them. They work them 18, 20 hours a day for like 30 cents an hour. And it's, uh, it's a shame that some of the big celebrities like Elizabeth Moss and uh, Tom Cruise and John Travolta have been sucked into this cult and unfortunately bring other people in. Yeah, tough situation. Our guest today has a new book out. It's called The Perils of Paulette, a Writer's Memoir. You can go to Amazon and buy this book anywhere in the world as we blanket 17 states and much of Canada. If you have any thoughts or comments about the program, please drop me a note to Brian Rusk, care of the Rusk Report, Bet 1520, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. This station has received letters as far away as Scandinavia, New Zealand. We'd like to hear from you. I'd like to thank those who have called regarding our recent guests, Jim Schwartzkopf with Barrett Jackson about the uh, international car shows, John K. Castle, chairman of the board of Castle Harlan, and Allison Pataki, a New York Times bestselling author and daughter of Governor George Pataki. Coming up on this program, we'll have Joe Winner with the Niagara University Family Business Center and Ambassador Eric Javits will be back on the Rusk Report on the Bet 1520. A little information about Paulette Cooper. She was the first person to really expose Scientology, and they retaliated with Operation Freakout, having her arrested and almost killed. She successfully stowed away for a week on a luxury ocean liner. And Paulette Cooper is an author of 26 books and traveled the world for free as a travel writer. Um, she had a challenging uh, childhood, but it seems to have strengthened her into a very strong, uh, capable woman. Wouldn't you say that you uh, turned a negative into a positive, Paulette Cooper? Well, certainly a positive for other people when you tell your story. Mm -hmm. And especially many, many people don't know about how bad Scientology is, but one quarter of my book, The Perils of Paulette, is about Scientology and my dreadful ex I never was a member, and my dreadful experience when I tried to expose them. So 
it's been a positive and eye-opener for many people. Absolutely. Uh, Very compelling reading. Again, the book, Perils of Paulette, a writer's memoir, is available at Amazon. We encourage all of our uh, listeners to get this. It's a fast read. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's compassionate. Uh, Let's talk about uh, this Caribbean press trip uh, with a girlfriend. And um, uh, there was a party with a bartender, date rape drug, um, and died in a Natalie Holloway-style story. What was that all about, Paulette Cooper? Right, in fact, it happened right before the Natalie Holloway story. And the (coughs) Claudia was a very beautiful, young, new travel writer. And I was doing travel writing at the time, and I was offered a free trip to Cuba via Jamaica. And I had to turn it down, and I gave her the spot. And she went down to Jamaica, and she met a bartender at Sandals, where she was staying, and they went to a party. And what we think happened was that uh, there were a lot of drug dealers there because, you know, it was Jamaica. Somebody slipped a date rape drug into her drink, and she died on the spot and was buried there, and her poor parents, you know, were searching for years for her. And she's never seen again, and we, we know she's dead. And it was just a very, very sad situation. So, But I will tell you about a happier travel situation Please. that I had. Yeah, when I was young and really a bit crazy, I decided to stow away on the Leonardo da Vinci because I wanted to be a travel writer, and I thought just to write a cruise story would be very boring. So in my book, The Perils of Paulette, I describe how I got on the ship, basically acting as if I was visiting somebody, and then I just stayed on, and I had brought with me mix-and-match clothes that I kept in an attache case and hid that inside a piano and wandered around the ship. My, My theory was... If you are conspicuous, they will not find you. They're looking for people who are hiding. And I've made a point of meeting everybody. And in fact, I accidentally won the ship's ping pong contest. Oh, boy. And it was a a one-week trip from New York, St. Thomas, uh, Puerto Rico, and back. And I made it. Well, let me ask you this. This this is something, because I was reading it last night. Being a stowaway on a ship liner... You had to sleep. Where did you sleep? Basically, I slept on the couches. And by the way, it's it's interesting that you ask that question because men always ask me, where did you sleep? And women always ask me, where did you eat? Okay, well, those are good (laughs) questions. I've noticed that over the years when I discussed how I stowed away on the ocean liner. But basically, I would take a glass of water as as if it was a, a drink and put it down on a side table mm-hmm. and then just stretch out on a couch very open as if I had passed out. <laughs> and you did that for a week. I did that. I was very tired, though, because I couldn't do that until 3 or 4 in the morning when the last stragglers left, and I had to be up by about 6.30 or in the morning when the next group came in and when they started vacuuming the place. So I only slept for a couple of hours, I and mean, it really was... Uh, it was a rough trip. It was fun to write about it, and it, it had, you know, it got a lot of publicity at the time, and it, it really did launch my writing career. But it was a rough, rough trip. 
and and not only not something I would never do again, but you can't do it now mm-hmm. because of nine eleven. Yeah. See, there was no security on the ship then. Just mm-hmm. say who you were visiting, and I made up what I thought was a very common name, and just got on. But now, oh my God, you could never, you never pull that off now. A little uh, plug here: the Bet fifteen twenty is streaming. And the Western New Yorkers love their traditions, and the Ampol Legal has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper, as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Legal. The Ampol Legal is available in many Tops and Wegman stores. For home delivery, call 716-835-9454. That's 716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. Now let's talk about the terrible ordeal, and I'm sure it hurts to even talk about this because they tortured you so much. I was uh, reading in the last few days uh, your chapter uh, you know, of how they're trying to frame you with bomb threats, trying to put you in jail. I mean, these are were evil uh, people. Um, yeah. You know, with uh, phony fingerprints to um, to lock you up in jail on federal charges for for years. Tell us about the the horrible, painful ordeal you experienced with Scientology. Author of The Perils of Paulette, Paulette Cooper. Uh, yes, it was so painful. I don't even like remembering it now. All these years later. But what they did is they stole a piece of stationery of mine that had my fingerprint on it, and they wrote themselves bomb threats, and they called the FBI, and they had me arrested. And it was years before we were able to prove that they had done it because what they did, the FBI raided them five years later. And all those t- that time I had, was, had, was under indictment and could have gone to jail. And cost a huge amount of money, top criminal lawyers, to keep me out of jail. But then five years later, the FBI raided Scientology for another matter, and they found all these documents there called Operation Freakout. And instead of using my name, Paulette Cooper, they would they called me Mrs. Lovely, which of course you know they were being sarcastic. Well, you were that. a pretty, very attractive young lady. Yes. But uh, so they found that, and Scientology was boasting how they had gotten me arrested and all. And but that was just one of many things that they did to me over the years. I mean, it was just an absolute nightmare. I couldn't trust anybody. I, I I lived with a guy for eight months and found out that he was a Scientologist, calling in everything I was doing, saying. The scariest part when I realized that he was working for them was that I used to live in a place in New York uh, called the Churchill, and it had a swimming pool on the roof. And he used to go up every night for air and try to get me to go up, but I was in such a depressed state under indictment for something I didn't do that I never did go up. But finally, once or twice, I did go up, and he would try to get me. He would jump up on the ledge 33 stories up (laughs) and try to get me to come up there with him. And happily, I was in such a terrible state that I just really couldn't do it. But I 
after I realized that he was a Scientologist and he was writing notes about how great it would be if I commit suicide, I realized that he probably would have pushed me over. What a horrible man. Is the man still alive? Yes, he gave us a fake name. I know where he is. Uh, (coughs) He was confronted by Tony Ortega, who's a wonderful guy. He also wrote a book about my experiences. Well, he was on the international um, uh, talk show with you about this. Right, and Tony, uh, Tony called him. And he just, first he said he didn't know what Tony was talking about, and then after that he said, uh, I, I, you know, I don't understand the language. So he basically denied everything. And I had considered, since I know where he is, actually going and confronting him, but I don't know, I'd probably punch him and then it would... It's probably <laughs> not worth problems. the aggravation. Uh, you get high blood exactly. pressure meeting such an evil uh, person exactly. again. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. So I just say, all right, look, let him. I can't say live with his conscience because these people really think that, uh, and, and this is true of most cult people, they think they're, they're going to save the world and that anybody's stopping them, they can do whatever they want to them. So he's not going to confess. And But then that was just one of many things. They were putting my name and phone number up on men's bathroom walls, so I would get these disgusting phone calls. Horrible. They were tapping my phone. There was a seeming murder attempt in which my roommate was, uh, this is a, a female roommate a little earlier, was th- there, in which a guy delivered flowers to me, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the flower, there were no flowers. It was, uh, he unwrapped the, uh, you know, the wrapping, and there was a gun in there, and he put it to her head. Oh. And either... It misfired. We don't know. She broke away, began screaming. Neighbors opened their door, and he ran away. Uh, just, uh, just disgusting. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit. I met your father years ago, and he seemed to be a very reputable, honest, decent um, business leader. And um, there were you arrived in America at age six as a suspected diamond <laughs> smuggler. Now, how did you get that type of uh, uh, term? when your father was such a reputable man. Right. It had nothing to do with my adopted parents. I I flew from Belgium to America to mm-hmm. be adopted by the Coopers, and the there was a woman next to me on the plane who we didn't I didn't know, and she kind of looked out for me. She taught me my first three English words. Oh. I only spoke French, which okay. were I love you. I threw up on her during some turbulence. <laughs> okay. And when we got off the plane, it turned out that she was a suspected diamond smuggler. Oh. So I was grabbed by customs, and they thought that I was her accomplice, and they kept questioning me, and I'm speaking, I was speaking French. I didn't know what they were talking about. And these idiots kept saying, oh, we know you're working with her. We know you speak <laughs> English. That <laughs> was very weird. <laughs> that was my, my arrival in America, 1948, August 28th. Now, your father uh, was an accomplished businessman, uh, gentleman, uh, very successful, but he had a lot of unusual jobs as a uh, semi-pro yeah, before, basketball yeah, before player. Yeah, met my mother. Because he was he very was tall, a... I believe, wasn't he, about 6'5"? Right. No, not quite that tall. He was 6'2 and a half. Okay. And he was a semi-professional basketball player right out of college, and they did things differently in those days. The They would have a team go around supported by, I think in this case it was O'Toole's dentist, 
and they would wear uniforms. Whoever they were advertising was on their back, and they would get be given a certain amount of money to travel around the state. This was Michigan. And they would go around the state and say they were given $20 a week. Whatever they didn't spend for room and board was their pay, and they would play basketball. Mm-hmm. And it, instantly, my adopted family was Jewish, and there were places that would not let him play because he was Jewish. Oh, ridiculous. So, yeah. And then he was also a vacuum cleaner salesman. Yeah, he became he's a very good salesman, and he became a vacuum cleaner salesman for a while at a time when women did not have them and they did not trust them. And he would get some dirt and he would put it in a bag and he'd go into a woman's home to show her this great gadget that he had. And he would put the dirt on the floor and the women, oh, my God, you know, this is horrible. And then he would take the vacuum and in five seconds just swoop it up. And they were always so impressed. My God, there's a machine that actually would clean for me that he sold a lot of vacuum cleaners. Now, then what, where was he successful in his career? Where did he hit it? That, well, then he, when he married my mother, he went into, my mother was in the, uh, had a very, her family was a very successful diamond family. Mm-hmm. And, and he went into the diamond business and uh, became successful at that because he really, first of all, he's a nice guy. People wanted to deal with a mm-hmm. super honest, nice guy because, as you know, because you met him. And uh, so he became very successful and they moved part-time down to Florida, and then the same place where they moved, I, we decided when they, they were 95 that we would take care of them, my wonderful husband. Mm-hmm. And every morning after my mother died for about five years, every morning we had breakfast with Dad. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah, he was really good. Yeah. Again, the book is available at Amazon. It's a, a good, exciting, um, funny at times uh, at other times, it's a very emotionally compelling. It's The Paul, Perils of Paulette, a writer's memoir. Our guest, guest today is Paulette Cooper, and I guess you're married to a man, love at second sight. Tell us about yeah. this. We have a minute and a half left. Okay. Uh, happy ending to my life, and it's, next week is our 34th wedding anniversary. Great. When I was 25, I met a guy and uh, went out with him a couple of times. It didn't work out. And 19 years later, we bumped into each other again. Neither of us had married anybody else. We started dating. We got married. We have one of the happiest marriages I know of. It's 34 years, never had a fight. <laughs> and, That's good. Uh, he's a, like my father, he's just a wonderful man, and I'm very lucky. I always say you only have to make one good choice in life, and that is who you marry and I finally made one good choice in my life oh he's a wonderful man and a very gifted uh, brilliant man too uh, we have another minute left and you interviewed a convicted uh, killer um, and then being solicited oh, yeah. uh, by the mafia yeah that was at, at Attica I did a story on a guy named Jerry the Jew and he was a jailhouse lawyer and he was such a good lawyer that he wrote a brief that got Carmen Galanti out of jail, mm-hmm. at which point I was approached by this mafia man, uh, taken to lunch, very strange lunch. We were the only people there. He had a huge dog underneath the table, and they asked me to write a book on this guy. And I decided that I really did not want to get involved with these kind of people. 
I did do some ghost writing. I ghost wrote a book for Margaret Truman, and but I did not want to ghost write or write this book. I don't blame you. I'm sorry we have to bring the Rust Report to a close again. The book is The Perils of Paulette, a writer's memoir, a very good read, very fast, a charming read with our guest today, Paulette Cooper on the Rust Report. Special thanks to Kevin Carr, our director of production, and thank you for enlightening us about your exciting life in the book, The Perils of Paulette, with Paulette thank you, Cooper. Brian. Have a great thank week. You've been listening to The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at the Western New York community with news, features, and special guests. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to Brian Rusk, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Amherst, New York, 14226. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.